What's going on guys? Jason here from A Soldier's Faith and today's episode is brought to you by ExtremeRate.com. ExtremeRate.com customize any console or controller to your your wildest dreams with parts like shells and replacement electronic parts to give you an edge on competition. That's ExtremeRate.com. Use code DR13 at checkout. Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Soldier's Faith. I'm your host, Jason, a U.S. Air Force and U.S. Army veteran. We're on episode 11, and this will actually be part of a four-part series, continuing into episode 14. And these last four episodes are my time in Alaska and the conclusion of my military career. Last episode, it was Fort Bragg, airborne. Well, those last few weeks of Bragg a lot went through my mind. In January, I was promoted to sergeant. In February, I was moving myself, my son, and my pregnant wife from the East Coast to the last frontier. Every time I've moved military installations, I've always done what's called a ditty move or a do-it-yourself move. But this was different. We had a lot of stuff. It was the dead of winter, but we did need stuff when we got there because you never know when your belongings are going to arrive. So, we had two cars. My wife had the uh, Dodge Journey, my son rode with her, and I had the Mini Cooper packed with our belongings. Just so she wouldn't have to worry about not being able to see behind her, and being able to take care of our son if something happened. We left out early one morning from Fayetteville, North Carolina, and our first stop was Georgia to see my grandparents. This would possibly be the last time in a few years I'd get to visit them, so I wanted to make sure I at least got to spend some time. But that time was cut short due to family drama, and we decided to hop in our cars and get to driving. The next stop was Missouri. Her mom and her sister were there, and we wanted to spend a few days. But me, being the outcast, not really liked by anyone in the family, I just kind of stuck to myself. After that, it was onward, and you you really don't understand and realize how beautiful God's creation is until you take it upon yourself to go and look. And then when it's you and your family on a cross-country drive, it's amazing. And we didn't rush, because I had about a month of leave saved up, so we could take our time and see stuff. But it was the middle of winter, and there wasn't much to see except for snow and road. So I spent my time drinking Red Bulls and listening to Skillet and Pillar to stay awake. This was the year that the East Coast got hit with the wicked ice storm. And well, the Midwest was getting a lot of snow. You never pray as hard as I was praying until you have a pregnant wife in the car ahead of you with your oldest son with her and her. It's insane. We drove for days and made it to Seattle. We had to stop. No, not for coffee. We didn't get coffee. I just wanted them to see one of my favorite cities. To this day, I'm not really sure why it was my favorite city. But we spent a few hours there and we left from there and drove through Canada. 
Canada was even more mesmerizing. You know, from the small towns to the hospitality to, to we saw buffalo in the wild on the road. The entire trip, I had been listening to my Christian rock playlist, drinking energy drinks, and praying. Praying for safety, praying for guidance. I tell you, God is good. We never got in a wreck. We never ran low on money. And we never had a need or want on the drive. And I'm even thankful that God gave me the opportunity so I could witness his creation and, you know, see a brighter side of humanity. I'd always been stuck in one place, so getting out and seeing the rest of the world just made me see how beautiful that creation was. Also in Canada, I got to witness the good side of the human race. We had a business, and they bought myself and my family's mill. Well, mills. We got there and we needed dinner. Kitchen was closed and the the cook made us something to eat and even had it delivered via room service, which the hotel owner paid for on his dime. The next morning we got up and we went to go get breakfast. And their breakfast was in the bar. And it wasn't like a continental breakfast or a a serve yourself breakfast it was an actual breakfast where the cook made whatever you wanted and of course that was close to the end of our leg of our journey so money was getting tight but the owner of the bar paid for our breakfasts and we even had this nice older lady that worked for the bar she had seen me the night before when i got there She asked if it was okay to take our son for a walk, you know, just to show him around and show him all the stuff that they had in the hotel and bar. And we said, sure, that's fine. She picked him up. She walked him around. He was kind of fussy being up that early, but she even bought him a stack, a stack of postcards from Whitehorse, Canada. A white horse is the capital of the Yukon. Beautiful city, still a mining town. The only downfall of being at White Horse when we got there is it was their drag festival. And I know there's a lot of crap that goes on with drag these days, and I don't want to get into that because that's politics. But I kind of understand why these guys do it because it's a mining town and they all just want to have fun and laugh it's not because they're a certain way but it's because you know sometimes they just want to be silly and make people laugh just to have fun we got back on the road and we drove what seems like forever and we crossed the border from Canada into Alaska. That morning, I don't think I prayed harder than I did that day, the entire day. And if you've ever seen the show Ice Road Truckers, you'll understand why. The roads for us to drive on 
had about six inches of ice on top of them. You couldn't tell what side of the road was which. You couldn't tell if you were even on the road. It took us until nine or ten o'clock that night even to reach a town, civilization. We stopped in a little town called Delta Junction. And it's... It's one of the few quote-unquote Russian towns. Well, not Russian, but a large Russian demographic. We didn't think we were going to find anywhere to stop. But on the side, there was a huge log house. Three stories that a man had created a bed and breakfast with. By the grace of God, nothing else, we were able to stay there. <clears throat> we stopped at the bed and breakfast. We walked in, walked up to the desk, and the man told us it's $250 a night. $250. Bucks. We were pretty much strapped at that point. You know, we had marked out money for gas to get into Fairbanks. We had marked out money for food once we got to Fairbanks and we had marked out money just to grab us something to eat. I looked at the man, I said, thank you, sir, but we really can't afford that. We're just going to go ahead and, you know, head on to Fairbanks. We sh- it shouldn't take us that long. I was walking towards the door and the man stopped me. He said, hey, look, I don't do this for anyone. But you and your family deserve a, a night's sleep. So I'll let you stay in a room for free. But I have one stipulation for you. You and your family have to come to breakfast tomorrow morning. It was a Sunday morning. Now the reason he said this is come to find out he was a pastor at the local church. And with the snowfall that they had gotten the night before, they weren't going to have services that night or the next day. So he was going to have services there for anyone that came to breakfast. You know, it, it doesn't seem like much, but that really helped us out. And him saying, hey, you know, sorry, dude. I got you for a night. Next morning, got up, we got breakfast, enjoyed a little sermon with him, and we were on our way. Probably the longest drive I've done. Not in distance, but just the sheer fear of something happening on the way. And you got to think, this is middle of winter in Alaska. Now, I told you about the roads. The roads between Delta Junction and Fairbanks are just curvy. There's steep inclines on sides of the roads and... There's a huge lake at one point. Granted, the lake was frozen over by about six feet and we could have drove on it, but I didn't want to take that chance. <clears throat> this is also the days of TomTom. 
if you think about it, Tom Tom got us lost every time. We got absolutely lost with Tom Tom. And this was the infancy of GPS too. So a lot of stuff wasn't updated. And the housing that we were going to used to be on post housing. But a private contractor bought them out and now they were off post. So yeah, Tom Tom, when we finally got into Fairbanks, had us drive through post to go off post to get to the townhouse community that was waiting on us. But we were home. We were home at last. Well, our home for the next however long the army decided to keep me in Alaska. We got to the office, signed all the paperwork, which we didn't have to pay anything for the first month. Got to our townhouse and let the wife she pulled her car in so she could get or pulled her car into the garage so she could get our son and whatever was in the car out. And then we traded spots. I pulled into the garage, unloaded my car, and we set up whatever we had so we'd have something to sit on, something to lay on. We didn't know how long it was going to take to get our belongings, so we were sleeping on blow-up mattresses in the living room, but we were together, and we had a home. The next day, Monday, I had to report into post. I had a week of of in-processing for main post ahead of me that I had to do. During this time, around the last day or two of and processing. Some of the cadre from Northern Warfare Training Center came in and they said they needed volunteers for their unit. As a newly penned sergeant, <clears throat> not really wanting to deploy, I had something to prove. This was a mountain warfare unit. It means they climbed and they survived in cold weather and they did things that I wanted to learn how to do. It's like the Army's version of the Boy Scouts, except a little bit more extreme. And I know if any of the people I worked with in that unit heard that, probably have a fit. But look, you learned how to survive, you learned how to tie knots, you learned how to climb, you learned how to survive on a glacier. Yeah, it's a little bit more advanced than the Boy Scouts, but some of the same things. But I took that opportunity. And the first sergeant at the time, after I walked in there and showed him all my paperwork, and being a newly pinned sergeant, I didn't have a uh, an NCOER, he decided to take a chance on me. So the position that he put me in I would be taking over the sergeant first class that was originally there. Now, I was a sergeant in E5. <clears throat> this slot was two pay grades above me. And it wasn't no small it wasn't a small task. The 
The position was for a dining facility manager for the school. It means I had to do orders. I had to do uh, paperwork. I had to... If you've ever worked in a dining facility or in a restaurant, you've ever wondered what your manager does because they're never on the floor and they're always in their office. I can attest that man is working and doing stuff. That man or woman is working and doing stuff you don't want to do. It's boring. Paperwork and money handling and supplies and making menus. But that opportunity was all God. And I know it was. Because it set me up for success. But it was also completely out of my comfort zone. Kind of like doing this podcast is. Because I was going to be working two pay grades above me. And all the people under me were just the pay grade below me. But I got lucky. Every single one of the soldiers, with with the exception of one, all had respect for me. Every single person that was cadre for the unit had respect for me. The commander, a major, had nothing but respect for me. And I worked my butt off too. And I proved myself. To the point that when I left that unit... Sergeant Major of the Army at the time came in and he asked for me by name. What he stated is I heard there was a young sergeant that was running things and doing better than most sergeant first classes ever could. Well, they had already moved me to a regular unit, so I wasn't able to, to meet him or talk to him. I will say one thing. If it wasn't for that first sergeant taking a chance on me, I wouldn't have had the ability to become the person I became. Yeah, it kept me away from family a lot. But it gave me experiences and connections that lasted a lifetime. Even now, I have have guys that reach out to me. Well, just the trip and signing into the unit, that's going to be it for that episode. Because the next episode, I want to go in depth with Northern Warfare Training Center and how it changed me. Not only as a soldier, but in my faith as well. But I want to thank all of you who listened. It does mean a lot to me. Thank you so much for listening to A Soldier's Faith. And the next episode will absolutely be about Northern Warfare Training Center. You all have a wonderful day, and God bless.